pasta that i'm pretty into i read it it's pretty good so now i just want to share it and let's start it off addiction took her mother slowly rocked her through it and sang her to sleep sunk deep into the mattress on her bed when her back teeth fell out she left them on the side of the bathtub i was seven and i kept them in a matchbox the missing pieces of her kept safe so that she wouldn't be lost forever. So maybe one day we could put her back together. Our house fell around us, and we tried our best to raise ourselves. The ceilings had water damage. The bottom stairs had dry rot. And in the winters, the radiator bled rust. But it was still our house, and Annie made it a home. My sister Annie mothered me with lopsided band-aids and on bruised knees and lukewarm microwave meals. She told me ghost stories and didn't mind when I crawled into her bed later on, too scared to sleep alone. She taught me to dance, barefoot on the living carpet, music channel on full volume on TV shaking our pre-adolescent hips. She always let me shower first so that I could enjoy the hot water and never complained when she had to make me do it. She brushed my hair every day before school, even when I screamed and hurt her when she caught the tangles. Annie was dark-haired like her father, whoever he had been, but I was blonde. Annie was desperate to be blonde too, like Marilyn Monroe. Like mom, I think she thought it would make them closer. Remind mom less of her dad. I'd give anything for her to have her hands in my hair one more time, even if it hurts. She moved to New York when I turned 18 and never came back. I still dream of her sometimes. Keeping up with our mother was impossible, and we learned from a young age that we would always be left behind. It didn't make it any easier. When she was drinking light, she was radiant and would wake us up at 3 a.m. with pancakes dripping in cherry syrup. Sometimes when the weather was right and she'd have had had enough being drunk alone, she would call our school up and tell them we had both come down with summer sickness and we'd drive to the beach instead. I remember being nine years old in the backseat of the car, coming home after one of our ocean days, sucking the salt from my fingers. Annie had just dyed her hair blonde. Her best friend Jane helped her bend over on the kitchen sink. From behind, I couldn't tell who was the mother and who was the daughter. Radio up and windows down, blowing the sky inside. When she was drinking heavily, she'd be out all night, hair pulled up like a beauty queen, eyes glazed over and ringed with glitter and black. Sometimes she'd be gone a day or two. She would never give us advance notice. 
one day we'd just wake up to an empty house with the fridge packed full and a posted note on its door, complete with the smear of mom's lipstick and the outline of a kiss, telling us she'd be back soon. Sometimes she'd bring guys home, filling the table with beer cans and ashtrays, smoking up the ceiling. Mom would be lost in the haze. We'd sleep with pills over our heads, trying to drown out the music they would blast all night and wake up the strangers at our kitchen in the morning, asking us where we kept the coffee. When mom drank too little, she fell apart. She wouldn't buy food, and the refrigerator went bare. She changed smoke, leaving cigarette burns on the paper, wallpaper up by the stairs like the walls were sick and decaying. She barely slept, walking around with blue half-moons under her eyes, knuckles raw. She would scream at the slightest thing. I remember once when I spilled a glass of juice on the couch. She looked over at me with dead eyes and dragged me off onto the carpet and then took every single cushion off the couch and onto the backyard and set them on fire. Annie went to watch a while from the window and then sat next to me on the floor, backs pressed against the skeleton of the seats, head resting in the crater of my collarbones. It was the worst when Mother drank too much. She laughed too loudly and too long at everything and anything until her mouth started to shake and she began to cry into her cereal at the breakfast table. Annie shut down when mom was like this, going somewhere deep inside herself where no one could hurt her. She stayed up until the morning watching old black and white movies on TV, whispering the lines she knew by heart like prayers. When I was five years old, I'd cry when I'd find mom passed out on her bed. Sure, she would never really move. And at that point, she stayed up until the morning, just watching. Annie would wipe my tears and tell me she was only sleeping, like the princesses in her storybook. We'd sit on mom's bed together and wait for her to wake up. When we were older, I was the one who would pick mom up from the bathroom floor again and again, and Annie would put her to bed, smoothing her face, her hair off her face, wiping the vomit from her mouth, and changing her clothes if she'd pissed herself. Watching them then, there was no doubt that Annie was the mother now. It was October, and I was 13. Annie, 16. It was a Wednesday night, and mom had been gone for two days now. She'd call us that morning from a payphone, voice slurring, telling us she was having the best time with all her new friends and that she'd hope we were doing fine. When she asked me if I was having a good birthday, I hung up on her. My birthday had been the day before. Annie had given me a pile of presents, strawberry lipstick, and glittery nail polishes. I didn't ask what she'd gotten the money from. I didn't care. We take the bus to the beach with Jane and ate the birthday cake she had made for me, sand getting into the frosting. It tasted like sweetness, and I savored every bite and scrape of sugar against my teeth. We watched the sun go down, Annie snapping grainy photos on her Nokia as they blew out my candles, wishing over and over that mom wouldn't come home, that she'd stay gone this time. But that Wednesday night, Annie and I weren't speaking. Anger hung heavy between us, seeping through the floorboards. It began when she tripped at the bottom of the steps. We'd both laugh. 
Annie throwing her head back, the gap between her front teeth catching the light. When I'd bend to pick her up, I felt her breath warm against the freckles on my cheek. I let go of her arms. She fell again, hitting the floor and grinning, shaking her hair off her face. Her breath was heavy with whiskey. I couldn't start picking her up, too. Couldn't watch her fall again and again. Just like Mom, I knew she'd never get back. I'd stared down at her, blonde hair hanging over her eyes, and all I could see was our mother. Then I was running, feet slamming the hallways like heartbeats turned loose. I'd run for the kitchen and tipped every bottle we had down the sink, shoving Andy back as she fought to stop me, catching liquor on her fingers as it fell. She grabbed my shoulders and made me drop the very last bottle. It smashed between us on the floor, glass shards shining like we dragged those stars out of the sky and broke them, like pieces we could never get back. Outside the open windows, the sky turned pale gold. The clouds a mess of pink and cream smeared across the horizon. I cried then, watching my sister on her knees picking up the pieces. But that was Annie, always trying to fix things even though it was too late. The smell of food dragged me from my mom. My stomach turned traitor inside my rib cage. Annie was cooking pasta. Real food not made in a microwave. She'd set the table. Tammy Wynett singing softly from the CD player. Annie gently swaying her hips as she stirred a tomato sauce, rich and warm. As we ate in silence, I forgave her more with every bite. Mom never cooked dinner. Never remembered my favorite had been spaghetti since I was a kid. I never stayed sober long enough to sit up at a table. Annie wasn't mom. We were washing the dishes when we first heard it. A moth was crawling down the inside of the pane, and I cr- cracked the window to let it out into the dark. From the back here came a faint noise. I tilted my head to see from it, but it just sounded like it was too far away. I figured it was Mika, the two-year-old next door, having a tantrum loud enough for us to catch. Or even maybe Lucky Strike, the cat that belonged to the junkies down the street, begging for food like he sometimes did. I always wanted to feed him when he came around, winding over my ankles, but Annie always stopped me, saying, once you started giving, they never stopped taking. Looking back, I didn't think she was talking about the cat. Annie flipped the Christmas lights strung around the porch, and we sat up at the plastic beach chairs watching the skies. When we were little, we'd sit outside, and Annie would tell me the names of the constellations and the stories of how they came to be hung up on the night sky. I had to grow up before I realized she made them all up as she went along. It was a game we still like to play now, making up ridiculous stories with the shapes we could pick out. Ah yes, that one, that is the chorus light. It got there when God dropped it out out of his convertible window and never picked it up, she said, nodding vaguely and hiding her smile. Of course, I said, waving my hands and pointing up past the power lines, right next to the ashtray, left there by angels on a smoke break. Yeah, they say if you wish on it, all your dreams come true, said Annie with a grin. Then she started laughing, and her voice grew quiet, face tilted up to those dead skies. Let's wish, Emmy. Let's wish. So we did. The sound of wailing interrupted us. It was closer this time, and definitely human. We turned to one another in confusion. 
Annie shrugged and I squinted into the black. It sounded like a baby, lost, tired, and alone. It must be Mika, I said, slowly getting to my feet. Maybe he walked over or around the back. Do you want me to call Connie and tell her we'd bring him back? Annie didn't reply. I sighed and rolled my eyes. Okay, I guess I'll do everything then. I stepped out the porch, grass soft against my heel. The air smelled like it might rain, fresh and clean and growing. A promise unfulfilled. Uh, Em? Annie's voice was strained. I turned her with a, turned to her with a smile. It died on my face when I saw the look on her own. Em? Get inside now. She was staring out in the dark, past me, and opening the door with one hand behind her, fingers fumbling at the latch. I froze, barefoot in the dirt. I glimpsed what she was looking at. In the bushes by the back fence, someone was crouching with their knees tucked under, neatly under their chin, and their arms wrapped around their legs. Their mouth was agape, softly opening and closing as they cried. Like a child, lost in the dark. No, not like a child. More like someone pretending, mimicking the sound, under cover of darkness. Suddenly, they started straightening their back, snapping upright, face still obscured by the shadow. They were just tall and slim, extraordinarily thin by human standards. Panic made me move carried forward by animal instincts, left over from a time when people still lived in nature. I was faster than Annie, dragging her inside and slamming the door behind us, hearing it pounce on its hinds as I locked it. We watched as the person slowly approached the house with long, deliberate strides. Annie reached for my hand, holding me tight, and turned to face her, holding my shoulders. Don't turn around, Emmy. Don't turn around. Instinctively, I started to look over my shoulder into the gloom. Annie grabbed my face hard and shook her head. I knew that she was serious. I'm... Her voice cracked, and she cleared her throat, gripping my hand tight enough to hurt, nails digging in, grounding herself. I looked down at our interlocked fingers, both of us born at the same bones. I'm going to call the cops, and everything's going to be... Her voice flattered, stuttering. Tears spilled over her lashes. Annie never cried. Your phone's on the porch, she whispered, and Pyle crawled its way up my throat. Her phone was upstairs charging. A soft tap, tapping, filled the silence. Annie turned wide-eyed to the window. It was the sound of someone's forehead slowly and repeatedly bumping against the glass. Then the blows accelerated, gaining in both speed and strength. Skin meeting glass until they were slamming into the window hard enough to shake the pans. A moment later, the tapping stopped, and I was about to ask Annie if I could look now. When she screamed, followed by the sound of cracking glass and a tremendous crash, whoever was in our yard had just smashed their face hard into the window enough to shatter it. We ran up the stairs two steps at a time, skipping the rotted ones out of habit. I turned to look behind me, 
once more, and Henny yanked my face back before I could see. The sound of glass breaking echoed behind us as we made it to the bathroom and locked the door. A weak, mewling cry, like that of an infant calling for its mother, filled the hallway trapped between the walls and entryways. Annie threw her back against the door, feet jammed against the bathtub, clutching a knife she had grabbed from the kitchen. I joined her, shoulder to shoulder, and did the same thing. Slow footsteps started out on the stairs, calculated and casual. The crying took on a mocking quality, resembling laughter. Arriving in short, shrill bursts of sound followed by a high-pitched giggling, and then silence. Once to start a moment later, the first door on the upstairs floor was my bedroom, and we heard a distant sound of it slamming open. They were looking for us. What the fuck is going on? I asked Annie, not even bothered to push away the tears I couldn't keep from falling. I watched my sister pick herself up on the floor and raise her hands on the door as we heard the sound of a second door slamming. Mom's room. The next room on the hallway was my bathroom. Annie pulled me to my feet and handed me the knife. I shook my head and pushed it back to her, terrified of what would happen if I had to use it. Annie showed me and pressed the knife into my hand, thumb pressing hard enough along the edge to draw blood. I watched the winding road of crimson revels cascading down my wrists. In spite of the pain, Annie continued pushing the blade into my hands. Finally, I took it from her. Something slammed against the wall that mom's room shared with the bathroom. A high-pitched howl followed. I held my breath and felt my heart beating frantically in the base of my throat. I'm going to get the phone from my room, my sister said. I shook my head dramatically in protest. Before I could say a word, Annie clamped a hand over my mouth. I could taste the blood on her hand, salty and sweet, like birthday cake by the ocean. Yes, I'm going to get the phone and I'm going to call the cops. We're going to be okay. I shook my head again. It's the only way, Annie insisted. When I go, I need you to lock the door, and I don't want you to open it for anything or anyone. Not for me, not for anyone. Promise me. I shook my head, and Annie pressed her hand against my mouth, pushing my teeth against my lips so forcefully it made my eyes tear. Promise me, Em. Something smashed into the room next door. Annie brushed the hair from my face and gently tucked it behind my ear. Promise, she mouthed, and unlocked the door as slowly as possible, the bolts scraping gently. I watched the curve of her shoulder disappear into the darkened hall, like the moon in eclipse, and then she was gone. I couldn't move or breathe for a second, and then I slammed the bolt shut just as something bounced off the outside of the door. A high-pitched scream ensued, followed by the handle rattling up and down enough to a, for a screw to pop loose. I watched her roll towards me on the tile, and then everything went still. I sat with my back to the door, holding the knife and wishing I was holding Annie's hand instead. The silence continued. For a moment, the only sound was that of my breath slowly filling the room. A voice broke the illusion of solitude. 
M? A familiar voice came to the door. Startled, I gripped the knife even more firmly than before. Honey, what's going on? Mom? My voice cracked. Mama, is that you? I wrapped my arms around myself to keep from shaking. Sweetie, it's okay. Just open the door. It's okay. Just let me in. The handle rattled again, gentlier this time. Just let me in. It's all right. She banged impatiently in the door, and I took my handle on, on the bolt. At this time, I didn't know what to think. And I started shaking, but I also thought of what my sister said at this point. That I shouldn't open the door for anyone. But I did recognize that it was my mother. But I wasn't sure at this point. I screwed my eyes shut. She sounded so sad and so lost. I just wanted her to hold me like she did when I was a kid. When I'd come in with a scraped knee after falling off the swings. Maybe this time she meant it. All I can hear is my mother, well, a voice of my mother. Honey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I missed your birthday. I'm sorry. I'm such a terrible mother. Please. Her voice broke. She started to cry. Just let me in. I'm so sorry. Maybe she did mean it. Perhaps it would have all be okay. My hand found its way to the bolt again. My sister's voice came through the door, warm and gentle. Yeah, Emil, let us in. It's all okay. My hand froze in the bolt, and I tightened my grip on the weapon. Annie never called me by my full name. A hand banged at the door, handle rattling. Emil, let us in. Annie's voice became low and guttural followed by the same shrill giggles from before. Mom spoke now, pleading and crying, her voice growing louder and louder. Let us in, let us in, let us in. She shouted over and over again, punctured by her fists on the door. I thought about bedtime stories and of all the demons and monsters we pray never crawl out from under our beds. That's not my sister and you're not my mother. I screamed through the door hands over my head. I climbed into the bathtub, curled into the fetal position, and clutched the knife to my chest. I didn't know what it was outside the door, but I knew it wasn't Annie. It wasn't the voice that scolded me whenever I changed the TV channel, or the voice that sang me happy birthday. The one that told me I was smart and even when I got bad grades. The one that read me stories about princesses that never woke up. It just didn't sound human. Bangs and yells came from downstairs, followed by the footsteps of people running. A low gruddle howl ripped through the house, filling the room until I feel like I was drowning in the sound. And then the door was kicked in. I screamed, covered my eyes, and wanted to die. A moment later, arms found me, lifted me from the tub, and carried me from the room. I looked at the outside of the door as if I was taking downstairs. Its exterior was covered in long, scrapping claw marks, stretching to the floor. I found the halfway covered in the soft, downy remains of torn-up pillows, making it appear as if it had snowed indoors. I watched the tiny feathers drip slowly as men in uniform checked each of the room that looked like they had been ripped apart by something feral. 
outside police cars and ambulance waited in our driveway. And there in the middle of it was Annie, bathed in blue and red light and glowing in the dark like a neon angel. I threw myself from the officer's shoulders and ran to her. Then I, I held us both together, broken pieces and all, standing under all the constellations where we'd talked about. Muffled screaming came from the ambulance, which rocked occasionally. Annie gently turned my head away, smiling so sadly it made my chest ache. I understood. It turns out there was no demon, no wild animal or bad men that were trying to break in. It was just mom, out of her mind, on booze, drugs, and everything in between. Coming to the end of a week-long binge, something had finally broken inside her head. And this time we couldn't put her back together no matter how hard we tried. Sometimes you fall one less time and then never get up. Annie had seen her real thin frame in the garden, blood dripping from her mouth, track marks bulging from her forearms like unmapped roads. Desperate for one more hit, one more fix. She'd searched the kitchen for all the alcohol she that I would I threw away. And then she when she didn't find any, she went hunting for the stash hidden in the bathroom. She hadn't wanted me, just the drugs on the other side of the door. She'd been so high, she was able to mimic Annie's voice nearly perfect. The real monsters are the ones that eat you alive slowly. The kind that comes and gets you when you least expect it. It also can be the kind that can come from a bottle or a needle, or at the end of a long list of reasons why you can't get out of the bed in the morning. Sometimes the monsters are the ones that raise you or love you the most, but it's up to you to let them in.